This episode is brought to you in part by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. The strongest MDiv just got stronger. Southern Seminary's new MDiv is now simplified, personalized, and incentivized. It's simplified by providing students a foundational core of 21 credit hours in each of these three academic disciplines, biblical studies, theological studies, and practical studies. It's personalized through 21 credit hours of electives that students customize around their unique ministry calling to earn graduate certificates. Those certificates indicate specialized training in key areas of ministry. It's incentivized by saving residential MDiv students $1,800 in tuition each semester. The benefits of all MDiv students are greater personalization, increased specialization, and the opportunity to earn more credentials in an efficient amount of time. Discover how you can benefit from an MDiv that is simplified, personalized, and incentivized at sbts.edu forward slash new MDiv. Once again, that's sbts.edu forward slash new MDiv. Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Our goal is to help Christians understand the truth of Romans 15, 14, that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm one of your hosts, Curtis Solomon. And I'm Lincoln Liu, your other host. Be sure to check out other resources from the BCC at biblicalcc.org. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. It's a delight to have you as part of our audience. If you haven't supported the ministry of the Biblical Counseling Coalition financially yet, I want to invite you to do so today. I want you to jump on our website. There's a button at the top that says Donate. You can go there and find an address where you can send checks or you can give directly online at our website. And I'd encourage you to give a special gift or sign up to give an, a recurring gift. We need both. We're a nonprofit ministry that the Lord is using to expand biblical counseling around the world, build collaboration and unity among the biblical counseling leaders and the biblical counseling movement. And we depend on people like you to help us in that effort. So please jump online, give a special donation or sign up as a recurring donor. We really appreciate that. This episode is part two of one that uh, Lakin and I recorded a while ago where she was interviewing me about my book, P- uh, I Have PTSD, Reorienting After Trauma. We had a Q&A session with the people who joined us at the bookstore at Southern Seminary. Uh, And we didn't release that part with the initial podcast interview, but we thought it would be encouraging for you to hear some of the questions that were raised by uh, audience members and my answers there. I pray that it is an encouragement to you and it reminds you just of the power of God's word and his spirit moving through his people to bring hope and help and healing to people who experience some of the worst suffering that we face in this world. So thanks again for listening. Thanks for supporting us. And I pray you are blessed by this episode. Well, again, thanks so much for letting me talk about my book. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> and so now we open it up. Well, first I want to say thanks to our audience <laughs> for being with us. So thank you so much. Give yourselves a round of applause. And, and yeah, now we're going to open it up. So any of you who have questions, come on up. You have to, I know it might feel weird to come up to this table and talk into mic- that microphone, but go ahead and feel weird a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to start humming the Jeopardy theme until so, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, Mike Borland. Hello, Dr. Solomon. This mic's not on. It is. Excellent. Uh, it's coming through at least for our podcast, so go ahead. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Solomon. Uh, I wanted to ask, in reading your book, uh, you talk quite a bit to counselors, I think, 
as you mentioned, it's for the counselee. But I was struck by how much time you recommend counselors spend just kind of walking through the trauma Mm -hmm. as opposed to teaching, as opposed to just opening up the Bible. But I think helping them and just being where they are, like you mentioned at one point, just sitting in a car and helping the person sit there and not panic. So I was just curious if you could speak a little bit towards how you would see this book being incorporated into counseling, like what an arc of counseling may look like. Yeah. And, yeah. and just timing and how, how you would recommend that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Thanks so much uh, for the question. The, the publisher, when they asked me to write it, they said, give us something that somebody could walk through for 10 sessions or 12 sessions. And I was like, well... I'll give you 10 to 12 chapters, but I am not saying that this is going to be wrapped up in 10 to 12 sessions. Um, some of those sessions, especially in that middle part that Lakeham was talking about, the the chapter, what you, it might take you a few weeks to work through kind of the topic of what is described in that chapter. And each person is going to be, is going to be very different depending on where they are, when they come in, um, how active they are in moving towards God's solutions, how much support they're getting. So the change process is never going to look the same. So do not think that we're going to walk one chapter a week <laughs> for 10 to 12, 10 to 12 weeks and, and then be done. I do think, and to your, your, the point that you mentioned at the beginning, I want to reiterate this to, to all counselors all the time. Don't rush people to the profound, amazing, deeply important truth of Romans 8.28 without letting them soak in Romans 8.12 mm-hmm. through 25, mm-hmm. right? We, Romans 8.28 has become, through, through 30, has become a platitude that Christians throw at one another in the midst of suffering. The, and a platitude does not bring hope, help, healing, comfort, encouragement, anything it brings discouragement and frustration. It is a profound reality and we want to get to that reality, but sometimes it takes sitting, grieving, walking. Cause you, you, yes, you want Joseph's response from Genesis 50, 20, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. But how long was Joseph in prison and doing all those different things? We don't know at what point in that process, God brought him to that understanding that reality but I bet if you asked him the first night he was in prison after his brothers sold him into slavery, he probably wasn't there. Mm-mm. And when he got thrown back in jail after Potiphar's wife, probably wasn't there. It took a long time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people, and we do, and, and I've seen it by God's grace, people are able to get to that point where they can actually say, God, thank you for my traumatic experiences. One of the the most poignant examples I ever got was not from my own counseling, but from a pastor friend in Mexico who one of his, uh, one of his counselees guy came in for counseling because his father had been abducted by the cartels. They asked for a ransom, paid the ransom, never got his father back. And he was angry and he doubted God. And they worked through a lot of counseling for a long time, but it took time. And he finally got to the point where he said, you know what? I'm thankful that the cartels killed my dad. Not obviously because they killed his dad, but he said, because I never would have found Jesus Mm. apart from that. But man, that Mm. takes, that doesn't happen overnight. 
And we shouldn't rush people to that. Mm. So taking time. So I never put a time frame on the counseling that I'm offering to somebody, especially in dealing with post-traumatic stress. Um, some people will move very quickly if the if the trauma is way, way, way in the past. Sometimes that makes it a little faster. Um, but yeah, taking time to really slowly process. And even the grieving thing, I usually use a book, uh, Bob Kellerman's book, God's Healing for Life's Losses, which is about eight chapters. And I'll usually spend about eight weeks at least mm. just on that grieving piece. So that's like, so you just add eight weeks automatically to the 12 chapters that are here. So you're looking at at least mm. 20 sessions of counseling that I do with somebody at the least um, mm. in most instances, but sometimes more than that. So great, great question. Any others from... I'm spoiled because I know so many of you. You guys are <laughs> wonderful people. John, let's hear it. Hello, Dr. Solomon. Uh, in my time as a student at Boyce, I recall on several occasions that you and other persons within the counseling community here at Boyce speak to the fact that most counselors don't stru- jump straight into trauma counseling right away. Mm. How does a mm. new green counselor apply some of the things you speak to in your book? No, that's great. I really appreciate that, John. Good question. So what I would do, I recommend in the book, people having a counselor, a counseling ally. Uh, That's somebody who is going to go with you to the counseling, who is somebody in your church, a friend who has maybe a little bit more spiritual maturity than you, and then three to five people. I think for people who are, are lay counselors or new counselors or just coming out of school, if, if your friend comes to you and says, I'm struggling with this thing, can you help me? God has put you two together for a purpose and for a reason. What I would be in that instance is be the ally. Go find somebody else who has a little bit more experience, sit in the counseling room with them, listen and learn from the counselee, go through the book with the friend, be a good friend. Or maybe they want somebody else as the ally. Be one of those people on the transformation team, the three to five people who are are getting calls in the middle of the night saying, hey, I'm having a panic attack. Can you work through the peace plan with me? That kind of thing. Um, And just build into it. The reality is, though, uh, and this is one of the things I love, love, love talking about is Romans 15, 14, where the podcast gets its name, reminds us of this doctrine that we call sufficiency of Scripture where Paul writes to a group of Christians he's never met, not pastors, Christians, normal people in the church. Okay, pastors, some pastors can be normal people. Not all of them are. Um, but he says, I'm confident in you, brethren, that you're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. And what I want people, all of you and all of you listening to this podcast to understand is you may not have everything to, to say to everyone in every situation, but if you are a Christian with God's spirit and you have God's word, you have something to say to anyone in any situation. So don't get scared of this PTSD thing and be like, ah, I'm just new. I haven't done this. I haven't counseled anybody before. I'm out of here, right? I'm going to hand you off. Whoever they get care from, stay involved in the process Mm -hmm. and learn from that. And then the Lord's going to continue to bring you the people that you're supposed to minister to. I do think reading the book, going along mm-hmm. with them through it will help you and help you grow in your ability to counsel people. And then obviously take classes, learn, <laughs> read other books, learn about it, that kind of thing. Yeah. There's the peace pan that he mentioned, the transformation team. And then there's a lot of very practical different charts 
and different things to walk through with them that you can just apply um, just being a friend and just walking alongside them or being on that team. So there's a lot of practical things and two different actual like team oriented ways to walk alongside them. Yeah, definitely. Great questions. Anybody else have one? You have to you have to be able to lighten things up every once in a while too. If you're gonna be in this kind of work, you've got to. Right. <laughs> sometimes I, we do. I joke with law enforcement, military guys, and stuff. You, you and and other trauma counselors, you kind of have to be a little bit twisted. <laughs> Maybe not twisted is not the right word, but you've got to be able to find some ways to get in the light when you're in the dark a lot. So, hi, Doctor Solomon. You can raise that microphone okay. up, Arthur. <laughs> Sorry, Elena. Just you know, uh, this is so what it is. Question. So my question is, uh, what are some advices or suggestions you would give to uh, counselors when they are facing some like the most uh, sadness, heartbreaking story, hmm. but counselors can stand fast uh, on their position, but like they won't get affected negatively yeah. with yeah. The, uh, the stories? <laughs> no, that's a, that is a good, that's a great question, Arthur. Thanks. Here's what I'll say. As a counselor who, when you do listen to some of the most horrific stories that people share, you should not expect to be unaffected by what you hear. With God's grace and with some of the things I'll talk about in a minute, the goal would be that you be rightly affected. Um, I remember one particular counseling case that I had that was just really, really, really difficult, really hard. Most of the time, a lot of the time, the older I've gotten, the maybe hope, I think in one sense, it's the more sanctified um, because when we are like growing like Christ, Jesus is a man of sorrows and acquainted with much grief. And we are called to weep with those who weep. So I think weeping, being affected, being compassionate, feeling that hurt that somebody else is hurt is not a bad thing necessarily. It can go too far. It can become overwhelming. But it in and of itself is not bad. If we're called to weep with those who weep, we better dang weep. Um, so prior to this one, this one particular case, going back to that story, I felt like I was the kind of guy who could hear just about anything and kind of go home, water off a duck's back, not really be bothered by it. But I was going home and I was having images run through my mind of descriptions of the trauma. I was having increased frequency and severity of flashbacks to my own personal traumatic experiences. I was just, I was losing sleep. I was, you know, all these things. And so I went, I went to David Pallison, just a lovely man and a wonderful counselor, great mentor. And I said, David, what, what do you do when you're in the midst of these, these cases like this? And he said, you know, Curtis, what you need to understand is first of all, we, People who come in for counseling, they are drowning in a cesspool of life. And we get to be lowered down into the cesspool with them to be rescued, to rescue, rescue them. You are going to get dirty. You are going to get scratched. You're going to get hurt. That's that. Don't expect to be unaffected. You're going to be affected. But remember, you're not alone. Jesus is on the other end of that lifeline and he's going to pull you both out. And third, remember that it's an, it's an honor and a privilege to get to do it. 
so all of those things that that story always sticks in my mind I always go back to it and remember those things um but i think you also do need to do need to have some understanding of yourself to recognize when maybe the scale is tipping from being rightly affected to being overwhelmed and have other people in your life that you love and who love you and can see those things as well. And you, whether it's you identifying it or they identify it, basically you recognize I need to get into the light. I've been in the dark too long. I need to go spend some time being refreshed, being rejuvenated, being in the light. And that will look different for everybody. Obviously, you need to be maintaining a good uh, normal rhythm of spiritual disciplines, being in the word, getting the word in you, being in fellowship, being in community, being in service, being in prayer. That's just the normal breathing, eating, sleeping, drinking of, of the Christian life. But then what are those things that are extra refreshing for you? What things restore your soul? Is it journaling? Is it going for walks in the, in the wilderness? Is it going out to get a great pizza? Whatever, you know. Find some times that uh, the things that refresh your soul and do those things. Um, yeah, and then, and then get back into the fray when you can. So you need to be in regular relationships with people who know you well enough to say you need, you need some support. And then also just know your limits. You know, sometimes I know some counselors who are like, I can handle one case at a time. Other people who are like, I can handle eight, 16. I knew one person was doing like 20 cases at a time. So I'm like, that's a lot. But the, when you, if you are going to be like professionally doing this vocationally, you may need to recognize like, okay, I can handle 10 cases a week that are anxiety, depression, premarital, marriage, communication. But if you start getting a lot of trauma cases, that, that, that number might need to go down because it is, it tends to be weightier. It tends to be heavier because None of, none of us were designed and created by God to live through those experiences and none of us were designed to hear those experiences either. Another thing that does help you is when you're getting there, that kind of part of that on, it's an honor and a privilege to do it is looking at that person and realizing how, what a blessing that they are willing to open up and share with you those really painful, really intimate, really, difficult parts of their life and as much as it impacts you they they bore worse right they lived it they didn't just hear it and again that doesn't minimize the suffering that you are experiencing but it does help you have compassion for them makes sense great great question we've got five-ish minutes i think left so any other questions All right. Well, audience, thanks so much for being with us again. Give yourselves a round of applause again one more time. <laughs> Lakin, thanks so much for for co-hosting this one and kind of being in the driver's seat on this one. <laughs> Hopefully I drove well. I do want to ask one more question. All right. For, one more question for you. Just you. for um, <laughs> the listeners. Um, if you're here, you can obviously see where you can get the book at. But if you're listening through the phone, where can you find your resource 
um, of this book? Yeah, I'll, I'll throw out a few resources. One, this book you can find anywhere you buy books. Amazon, uh, New Growth Press is the publisher. If you buy it from their website, that's great. Here at the Southern Seminary Bookstore right now, you can get it for 40% off because of this event. But in general, because I'm faculty here, you get a discount. We The school the school is very kind to give you guys discounts on that. So if you're in the Louisville area, swing by and get a copy there. Uh, but anywhere else the books are sold, you can get it. A uh, couple other resources for you on this topic in particular. Um, the Mighty Oaks Foundation, as a, that I mentioned before, if you happen to be a first responder or a veteran, you can go through the legacy program uh, absolutely free. Just go to mightyoakswarriorprograms.org, click on the apply here button, and you can fill out an application. They will pay for you to fly there. They will transport you to the location. They will house you and feed you absolutely free. Uh, it's a one week of your life that could transform your eternity. It's, a, it's an amazing program. If you're struggling or you know somebody who is, encourage them to check that out. And then there's lots of great resources. I obviously need to mention the Biblical Counseling Coalition. <laughs> Our audience or listener, you know, they're usually familiar with the, the ministry, but biblicalcc.org, thousands of great free resources mm-hmm. uh, on there. Thank you to many of the bloggers and authors and contributors who contribute those. And then also be sure to connect with our other partners that are out there through that website as well. So good question. All righty. Now we can wrap it up and good to go. All right. We're all wrapped up. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And special thanks to our team who helped make this podcast possible. My assistant, Rebecca Mullins, helps coordinate these interviews. And our podcast engineer, Caleb Lau, does a great job editing and putting everything together. We look forward to you joining us next time.
This episode is brought to you in part by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. The strongest MDiv just got stronger. Southern Seminary's new MDiv is now simplified, personalized, and incentivized. It's simplified by providing students a foundational core of 21 credit hours in each of these three academic disciplines, biblical studies, theological studies, and practical studies. It's personalized through 21 credit hours of electives that students customize around their unique ministry calling to earn graduate certificates. Those certificates indicate specialized training in key areas of ministry. It's incentivized by saving residential MDiv students $1,800 in tuition each semester. The benefits of all MDiv students are greater personalization, increased specialization, and the opportunity to earn more credentials in an efficient amount of time. Discover how you can benefit from an NDiv that is simplified, personalized, and incentivized at sbts.edu forward slash new MDiv. Once again, that's sbts.edu forward slash new MDiv. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of 1514. As always, I'm delighted to have you as part of our audience. Today, we have an extra special opportunity, not for you on the listening end, but we are recording for the first time ever in front of a live audience. So uh, all those people here in the bookstore at Southern Seminary, give us a shout out, make some noise so everybody can hear you. There we go. All right. So Lakin, are you nervous? Oh, a lot. Yes. <laughs> we do not usually do this at all. No, so. we don't usually have an audience. So it's kind of exciting. I'm excited. I'm, I'm hoping it gives us a little, gives me more energy. You bring all the energy usually. So I appreciate that. But uh, hopefully these people will bring some energy uh, to the podcast as well. Well, today we are talking, we, ha- we kind of I have to switch seats because I'm not right. the I'm not the interviewer this time. I'm the interviewee. We're talking today about my book. I have mm-hmm. PTSD, Reorienting mm-hmm. After Trauma. Just came out around Labor Day in September. Uh, thank you for reading it. I know I kind of made you, but um, <laughs> so I'm going to hand it over to you, Lakin. You're in the driver's seat today. Oh gosh. Well, hopefully I can drive well. <laughs> I hope you can too. <laughs> okay. So before we dive into the book, I kind of want to get some background. Um, information and just hear from you before we dive in. So can you give us a quick summary from your experience um, of being in the Air Force? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I will. Ha- I do say uh, that my background and why I wrote this book has nothing to do with my mm-hmm. time in the Air Force because I, I did what's called command and control, which is a very safe job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I jokingly tell my friends, especially my brothers and sisters in arms and those who were in combat roles, like I was fighting the war on terror with Google. Uh, and when you look at career fields in the Air Force, they list all the the dangers associated with your job hazard mm-hmm. with your jobs or their job hazards. Mine were poor lighting and bad ergonomics. So, I mean, carpal tunnel can be a real beast, but it's not <laughs> quite as bad as bombs, tanks, you know, other stuff like that. Uh, but my, my, uh, I did serve in the United States Air Force, so the Air, California and Kentucky Air National Guard from 99 to 2005. Um, I was activated after 9-11 for mm-hmm. Operation Noble Eagle. And then when I transferred to Kentucky, that the unit here, here the- went to Afghanistan and I was activated for what's called mm-hmm. Operation Enduring Freedom. Um, but I stayed stateside most of the time for that, very safe. But my interest in um, PTSD was really sparked that after my military service and after seminary, mm-hmm. I worked for the Department of Veterans Affairs, and I saw all these men and women coming out of the armed forces who had put their lives on the line coming back with, with lots of different issues. I was helping process disability claims 
so obviously PTSD was a big, big part of it. Mm. And I had studied biblical counseling in my undergrad and then in my master's degree. And I knew one of the key pieces that these people needed was Jesus mm. and wisdom from his word. But coming through the VA, they're just, they're not going to get that. So that kind of put a seed in my heart that grew. And when I went back to do a PhD, um, I thought, Lord, if, if you are willing, I would love to study post-traumatic stress disorder uh, from a biblical perspective. And the Lord opened a lot of doors, allowed that to happen. My dissertation was an empirical study of the Mighty Oaks Foundation's legacy program, uh, which is a, a week-long peer-to-peer program created by veterans for veterans. Now they minister to first responders and, and more. Mm. Um, but that's kind of where that seed was planted. Um, I, I don't have a lot of crazy, I have some funny, <laughs> funny stories from my military time, but not a lot of crazy intense stories like a lot of, a lot of people do. So, mm. Well, thank you for serving and wanting to just serve our country in that way. And so that was a while from your PhD until also starting to write this book. Yep. Yep. So how did you get into writing this book? Was this another seed that the Lord um, grew in your heart or was this <laughs> just someone asked you to write about this? Yeah. Yeah. I hate writing personally. Uh, so this is definitely something the Lord makes me do. Um, actually the publisher new growth press approached me and they said they have this series of books in the ask a counsel, ask a Christian counselor series. And they said, Hey, we would really love if you, uh, could contribute to the series in in the area of PTSD. PTSD mm-hmm. is something, and trauma is something that our culture is talking a lot about right now. Um, but it's also something that's been a part of human history uh, for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't always called it PTSD. We haven't uh, always addressed it and thought about it as as maybe as focused um, as in recent time. But it's been a, a part of our lives. So they asked me, could you create a 10 to 12 chapter book that would be for the person who's struggling with trauma, knowing that they're probably not going to read it and their counselor is going to need to read it with them. And I was like, <laughs> let me think about that for a second. Cause it was a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a few years since I had graduated from my, from my dissertation and from my PhD. Um, and I really did have to boil down a lot of stuff. And I, I think what came out is a very helpful mm-hmm. uh ground level, easy to digest mm-hmm. book that will hopefully really help people who are struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I even, I've told Curtis this, but I read this book right before I would go to bed, like for a couple of weeks just to, um, yeah, get through it. It, it was like and an ambient sounds, replacement. I think. No, <laughs> it sounds weird to say I was reading a PTSD. You were surprised because you were like, that's a heavy, like this hmm. is a heavy topic and it hmm. is weighty. But I think something that really stood out was that the hope that is built into it is just always there and always hmm. evident. Um, and that doesn't neglect that PTSD and PTS is hard Yeah, or yeah. that that it can just be easily overcome by thinking about hope, but rather that there's hope in it and during it rather than just hope after you get over PTS. Yeah, no, and and the beauty of it and the reason is, is because Christ is there before, Mm -hmm. in the midst of, and after the Mm -hmm. experiences that lead to trauma. Um, So if Christ exists, hope exists. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we don't tap into it. And I, I really hope that that's shown through in the book that this is about 
Jesus primarily mm. and the hope that he offers to people um, as one who understands weaknesses, understands uh, trauma better than any of us mm. ever would. Um, yeah. So I hope that I'm glad that came through. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now we can get into the book. What right. um, is the thesis of the book and what are you trying to help portray to the reader or to the counselor? Yeah, I think what I'm trying to help people understand uh, the, the a number of things um, is that one, I I do like to and in, in early on in the book, I try to explain that I like to take the D out of PTSD mm -hmm. and talk about it as post traumatic stress, because the biggest take one of the biggest takeaways for people is that this is not an a normal or an abnormal response to normal life. Let me say that again. Mm -hmm. This is not an abnormal response to normal life. This is a very common response to extreme suffering. Mm -hmm. So, because some people walk away, first of all, if you get a diagnosis of PTSD, usually you are told this is a lifelong disease or disability you will have. There is no known cure. There's no hope for you to overcome it. And it can be very discouraging, very robbing of hope. And what I want people to understand is we take the D off of that to help them understand you're not a freak. You're not mm -hmm. broken. You're not somehow uh, unhelpable and, there's, and, and hopeless. There is a lot of hope. And mm -hmm. some of that comes through acknowledging this is a common response to extreme suffering. So that's one thing I want people to see. And then I do, I want them to see that there is hope. They can mm -hmm. be changed. Trauma is disorienting. Mm -hmm. uh, it makes people feel lost, confused, like the world is turned upside down. And I want them to see that there is a hope and a path towards reorienting mm -hmm. their lives around God, his purposes for their lives, his design for their life, and they can get back on track mm. with his help and with the help of some others surrounding them as well. Mm. No, that's great. In one of the first pages you write, while overcoming often involves a long journey, there is hope for healing and growth. Mm. These can be from the hands of the great healer of soul and body, Jesus Christ. And um, I think that totally just shows the thesis and of everything that your book is trying to accomplish. Um, and it goes into detail how that hope is applied and yeah. where you can find that hope. But it also talks about healing. So what does healing, true healing on this side of heaven look like? No, that's a, that's a great question because I also, you don't want to overstate or set people's expectations up. Like if I read this book, all of a sudden I'm never going to have a bad memory. I'm never going to have mm -hmm. a bad dream. Uh, I'm never going to struggle. Um, there are some people, by God's grace, who through time, through counsel, through work, through drawing closer to the Lord, the, the intrusive memories and some of the other more negative responses that people experience in trauma um, can diminish, can even vanish. But oftentimes what healing looks like is equipping them of how to respond mm. when those things come, mm. who to turn to, how to turn to him and and what to do in those moments. But yeah, many, many people actually, by God's grace, have gone from having what would be described and diagnosed as extreme post-traumatic stress disorder, where they're having dissociative episodes uh, and what that looks like. It can look like somebody just blanking out and you, you see them there, but you, you might be able to realize like mentally they are somewhere else mm -hmm. um, because where their body is physically, their mind has gone to a different place. Sometimes that can be as extreme as, as living and acting out 
something related to the trauma or actually the, what the traumatic experience was like. Or um, another extreme dissociative uh, response is passing out. Mm-hmm. So we talk about our threat response system. We often talk about fight or flight, but common, actually there are about four common responses in extreme, extreme suffering, fight, flight, freeze, or faint. And that mm-hmm. fainting is something that sometimes people do. And I, th- I think it is part of God's, um, our God-given threat response system to help us preserve life and maintain um, some, some, in some ways some sanity by escaping the worst of the worst of the worst of the suffering by, by passing out. So, mm-hmm. But people can go from having that kind of thing, having uh, nightmares and flashbacks that are waking them up in the middle of the night, other things like that, too living a pretty pretty normal mm-hmm. life where those things aren't a part of their experience anymore. And that is that is a hope that we can hold out for people mm-hmm. um, through God and his word and a, and a right response to those things. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. Now, who is the audience? You kind of hit on this a little bit. Yep. The audience of the book. Yeah. The audience it very much is the person who's struggling with trauma. And I know we talked about my military experience um, and a lot of people think, PTSD, military, but I, I want to say very, very clearly as many times as I possibly can, mm-hmm. trauma is not, and PTSD are not military issues. They're not limited to that. They're life issues. Uh, if you go back to the very first family in scripture, we find trauma, right? You find second generation murder of one brother against another. Mm-hmm. And scripture doesn't define for us or describe for us, but with our sanctified imagination, just think about what it would have been like for Eve or Adam to be wandering around looking for their boys and find Abel on the ground dead. Mm. They had never experienced human death prior to that point. Mm. And then the first time they encounter human death, it's not just natural causes, not old age, it's murder. Mm. And then to learn that it was their other son who did it. Mm. Again, we aren't told what, what that happened, but we can imagine that would have an impact mm. on their whole person, their soul. Um, and so trauma has been with us from the beginning. And there's mm. so many other places, natural disasters, uh, car accidents, assaults, crime, robbery, sudden unexpected deaths, things along those lines. It is not a military issue. Mm. So in the book, I try to use, I use three vignettes of people who are kind of amalgams of different counselees I've had. One who was a, a, a gal who lost a, a close loved one. Um, one who was a guy who was in a car accident and another guy who was a veteran who was in, uh, in combat and experienced combat trauma. So it's written for anybody struggling with any type of PTSD. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the goal. I do throw in a few extra things for the counselor, for the person who's walking with them. Mm -hmm. um, Because I do realize one, I encourage the person who's struggling. Don't do this alone, Mm -hmm. right? Like you should not try to overcome this struggle on your own. First thing that God says in Genesis that is not good is for us to be alone. And that was pre fall. How much more do we need community? How mm-hmm. much more do we need each other uh, in the aftermath of, of severe suffering? So mm. Now, it's not a military issue, as you just discussed. How should we as believers and who we know even this isn't like believers can have trauma? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're mm-hmm. not um, excused from it. 
And that is a word that sometimes can be lightly thrown around. And how do we help bring it to its like right appropriate word? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a challenging topic and it's something that Mm -hmm. I would need to, it's not, I didn't write as much on it in this book and I would like to write on it more. The reality is, is that trauma, I, I believe is a term that we should reserve for the most extreme suffering and the most extreme responses to mm-hmm. that suffering. Because when we start calling everything trauma, that means nothing is trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and while we don't necessarily follow suit with the secular mental health world, we, we can learn things from them. And they actually, if you look at the diagnosis for post-traumatic stress disorder, they limit what they consider potentially traumatic events. So with trauma, you actually have the you have to have a combination of two things. You have to have a combination of a certain type of event that is a is severe severe suffering, and then you have to have a type of response to that mm. event, a certain type of response, a severe response, and a severe event coming together is what would qualify somebody for a diagnosis of post traumatic stress disorder. And I know some people will say, well, PTSD and trauma are not the same thing. And you're right, you're right, they aren't. But we, <clears throat> what I try to encourage people to do is think about, do you believe that there are different levels of suffering? And most mm-hmm. people are comfortable saying, yeah, I think, I think there are different mm-hmm. levels of suffering, right? Like if I spilled your water on the floor right now, that's one level. If I took your phone and threw it on the wall <laughs> and it smashed, that's a different level. If I shoved you on the floor, that's a different level, right? Like yeah. and we can escalate. And we, we do see this definition and limitation of potentially traumatic events around things that actually cause or threaten to cause death severe bodily harm or violation of sexual integrity. Those are actually limiting factors. If you went to a psychologist or psychiatrist and they were going to diagnose you out of the DSM five, they would, you would have to have what they call a criterion, a stressor. And it is one of related to something like that, where you observe one of those things happening that happens directly to you, or you learn about it happening to a close loved one. Um, that if you have a, the types of traumatic responses that I'll mention in a minute, and but you experience those types of responses related to something like a breakup, um, some other kind of difficulty, they would diagnose you with a completely different diagnosis called adjustment disorder, basically saying you uh, haven't learned how to handle normal suffering in life. Mm-hmm. Now, back up from that, I want to be very, very, very clear. God cares about all suffering mm-hmm. and all suffering is significant. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that it's our part of the reason people want to claim the moniker trauma is because we have done a poor job mm-hmm. of helping people grieve and understand the significance of their sufferings. Mm-hmm. And they look around at the world and they see people who are able to talk about their suffering. They're getting care for their suffering. People are grieving with them and letting them grieve. And they say, I want that. Mm. And if I can say I have trauma, the culture gives me permission to do those things. Mm. But if I don't have trauma, then maybe my church, maybe my friends, maybe my parents, maybe my Mm -hmm. family say, suck it up, buttercup. Like your suffering isn't as bad as so-and-so's over there. So just deal with it. 
And that's not God's response. Mm-mm. That is not the Bible's response, right? Isaiah 63, 9 says that he is afflicted in all of our affliction and he cares about our, so God cares about our suffering and he wants to care for our suffering. And when we help people understand that, I think that alleviates in a sense, this pressure to, to have been through trauma. Mm. Um, and so going back to the conversation I would have with somebody, and I don't have this conversation every time somebody uses the term trauma, <laughs> right? Um, but if I'm in a conversation with somebody, I'm getting to know them, I'm listening to them, I'm building a relationship and they keep talking about trauma. I might ask them like, well, what do you mean by trauma? What's trauma to Mm. you? And then I would talk about these different levels of suffering. And then I would say, well, do you think that people who go through death, loss of life, um, you know, sexual trauma, other stuff like that, that they've been through something maybe worse Mm. than the rest of us? And they would say, yeah. Do you think we should love them in a particular way? Yeah. I said, I think one way we can love those people is by reserving that term Mm. trauma for them. Mm. Uh, and I and I do think I think there are reasons and that where people experience something else. Uh, I think children who are ripped out of their homes and who are placed in something else other than their home experience trauma. Um, and I I think that's there's a lot more to be said about it. But there is a sense in which death has occurred. Mm. Like your understanding of your safety, your livelihood, everything else has been ripped away from you, yeah. and it. it is experienced almost like a threat of death. Mm. Um, and that's why I think they have that. The flip side or the other side is those particular types of suffering, um, <clears throat> intrusive symptoms like flashbacks, nightmares, things like that, that we talked about. And again, you can have a, a nightmare or something like that of, of suffering, but it's not of a, of a Trump traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. Like every suffering is going to stick with you. Um, the other, so you have intrusive symptoms, avoidance symptoms. This is where you try to avoid everything associated with the trauma or anything that might remind you of the trauma, uh, negative alterations in cognition or mood, difficulty thinking, difficulty concentrating, just a negative outlook on life, thinking really bad things about self, others, the world, all those kind of things. And then alterations in arousal and reactivity, people who no longer excited about the things that used to excite them. Mm or they get overexcited about like in an, an exaggerated startle response is part of that where, you know, they hear a loud bang, dive on the floor, something along those lines. And then <clears throat> the symptoms last for over a month. All of those things combining and it interfering with life is what you would need to be mm. diagnosed with PTSD. So I tell, I tell people, you know, if, if Lakin punches me uh, in the podcast, which she might do here in a minute, <laughs> And the next time I'm with somebody and they raise their arm and I flinch, that's not a traumatic response. That's a normal human response, learning mm-hmm. to, to respond to a threat. If I'm beaten and then later on somebody raises their arm and I curl up in the ball on the floor, that's a traumatic response, mm-hmm. right? There's a, a severe level of res- suffering and response to the suffering and a severe suffering that started with it those two things hand in hand um, are honestly what's required for somebody to get a diagnosis of PTSD. Mm. So I talked for a long time. (laughs) I'm not even sure what question launched me into that. So bring me, reel me (laughs) back in. No, you're good. No. So I'm learning to take away from that is learning how to care for our brothers and sisters Mm. when it's little suffering and when it's much suffering. Yeah. And 
yeah, helping them get the care that they need when it's little so that when it does come much helping also how to differentiate that. So no, it's good. So there are a lot of different ways to approach um, just PTSD. Mm -hmm. And so the ways that you decided to approach it were in three parts and you had part one, you are not alone. Part two, dealing with your past and part three, learning to reorient your past, present and future. How did you decide these are the three elements that I want to make my book up? Yeah, I mean, I think these are the three elements that are kind of essential in caring for somebody. One is the never fight alone is helping them understand they can, uh, isolation leads to death, community breeds life. Mm. Uh, I stole that from Johnny Erickson Tata and it's just such a good reality. So that's where I encourage them to build around themselves what I call a transformation team. And I go into more detail in the book of what that includes. But part of it is a counselor, Mm. somebody that you're walking alongside and whether or not they are a paid counselor or whatever, somebody who loves God, loves his word, has some competency to care for you well. And then also having three or four people who you can call on at other times, um, like if you start to have a panic attack or just struggling a little bit and you need somebody to remind you, somebody to help you run through that peace plan, which is something I talk about in the book, you can't do this alone. You have mm-hmm. to have other people. The The middle section, what was the middle section? It <laughs> Remind me of the book, de- what I wrote. <laughs> um, dealing with your past. Yeah, dealing with your past. And, and that's going to broadly mm-hmm. break down into two categories, one of suffering and one of sin. Helping people looking looking backwards, obviously the suffering is a significant part mm-hmm. of what they've gone through. And as I mentioned in that other question, we have often not taught people how to grieve, mm-hmm. how to lament, how to handle yep. that in a biblical way. So I try to offer some, some biblical guidance on that. And then dealing with sin... Um, Oftentimes, you, when you talk to people, and I, I just did this talk at CCF on combat trauma or military-related trauma, people will assume it's what happened to me or what, what I, was done to me or what I saw happen to my friend that is bothering. But oftentimes, it's the questions of guilt and shame that are the most mm-hmm. str- biggest struggle for people. Uh, and then so helping them sort through what are they mm-hmm. actually responsible for? And what are they not responsible for? And, and dealing with survivor's guilt, confused guilt, false guilt, all those things versus what, what have you actually, mm-hmm. is there sin? And if so, how do you actually handle that? So dealing with the past and then reorienting towards the future. That's where I'm, I'm trying to give them a path forward, what to do. And a, a big part of that is helping them reinterpret so much of life. Um, post-traumatic stress has an interpretive element to it mm-hmm. in that, you know, it, Lakin, if you're killed, I'm going to grieve and it's going to bother me a lot. But if, if my wife is killed, it's going to mm-hmm. be more significant. You know, if, if you go outside today and you watch, hopefully this doesn't happen, but if you saw a car accident and you saw the aftermath of that car accident, if that person was a stranger, it's going to affect your soul. It should affect your soul. Mm-hmm. But if that person was a loved one, you, the, the stimuli, the external stimuli would be exactly the same, but because of your relationship to that person, you are interpreting the whole experience very differently. Well, that, that is actually can be helpful to us as well because we can help people go back and reinterpret significant aspects of their past trauma, their responses to that trauma, their current reality, and their future around what God's word would say about those things instead of maybe how they've interpreted it up to this mm-hmm. point. 
one example because I can't go into all of it, but I do have a chart that I ask them to fill out thinking about their thoughts, feelings, mm-hmm. and desires around themselves, God, others, and their circumstances. So for instance, a lot of people who've been through traumatic experiences, you ask them, well, what did you think about God in that moment? Well, in that moment back then, they might have not even thought of God. Mm. Or maybe they thought, where is God? There is no God, something along those lines. Then I ask them to think about their present. So that's your past past. Like in that moment, what were you thinking? Now there's your present past. Right now, as you're looking back at that past experience, Mm. what do you think about God? And many people are, you know, especially when they first come in for counseling, or they're frustrated, they're ticked mm-hmm. off. Like, how could God allow this to happen to me? As we work through the process, as we study scripture, as we help them understand God's love, his nature, what he's like, the fact that he cares about them, the fact that he was grieving with them, they can come to a reoriented past where they look back and say, I maybe don't agree with, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't love that God had me go through that, but I do believe he was there. Mm. I do believe he has my best in mind. And, and so that's just one way, one aspect of the mm. reinterpretation process. And then putting them on, on the future, most people who come in post-trauma or they're dealing with post-traumatic stress, they don't have a bright vision of the future. Mm. Uh, have a very pessimistic or maybe they don't see a future at all and they are really struggling with suicidal thinking. I want to help them learn through this process that if they are here, God has a purpose for them Mm -hmm. and that God has a purpose for their life in general. Broadly speaking, we all have the purpose of glorifying God by being conformed to the image of his son individually in their life. They have a purpose for their life, but Mm -hmm. even dialing into their trauma and what they've been through. God has a purpose for that. And we try to walk, help them mm-hmm. walk through that and see he's got, he's got good for you in the future to come, even not in spite of this, but in and through this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I want to dive deep um, into part two, dealing with your past, because I feel like that is one of the parts that sometimes whether it's um, PTSD or we can see it in normal day life, we want to skip from um, us getting help from others and then already skipping to the reoriented part, Mm, you know, and that's the processing part is part two where you're dealing with your past, where you really have to process a lot. Whether it is you processing, learning how to lament or learning how to process um, your own thoughts and processing the actual event and then processing it consistently because it mm. may pop up at different yep. times. Yep. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about the importance of processing and the role that it has? Yeah. First of all, when, when I say processing, I just, ha- I just mean helping people think through something mm. in a biblical way. Right. When we say processing, that's, that's honestly what we mean. We're like, we're thinking through it, mm-hmm. but we as, as Christians and as biblical counselors, we want to people to process it biblically. So help them think through it well. And that that usually involves another person helping us do mm-hmm. that because oftentimes in our own heads, we're not processing things very well. So we have to take, it takes time. And that's, an, I think, a big part of what you're getting at too is it's it takes time to process. Mm-hmm. And then doing it in community and then doing it with, with God's word in hand is really helpful. And yeah, you just, you're going to have to do that because you, we all are prone 
to see, to believe things that are not true, to feel things that are not accurate for the circumstances and to uh, want things that are not right. And a lot of that, when, when we are impacted by trauma, that gets compounded even worse. And so mm-hmm. having somebody come back and help us align our beliefs so that we do think what is true as well as possible. We feel what God would feel in a particular circumstance or situation, and we want what is good. That's what we're Dr. after. Mm-hmm. And that's what processing is trying to get you from where you are to where you need to be mm-hmm. in, that, in, that, in that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's great. I thought it was very helpful even for, for just um, everyday life and how I need to be reminded that. Um, and so we're getting to the 30 minutes wrap up, but I did want to leave with um, just a, a closer and a quote just to give an appetite for everyone to go and read the book. Um, and it says, but you are not helpless against PTSD. It does not have ultimate say or power over you. God promises to be with you as you face your triggers and he has given you allies in that fight. You have his spirit to pray with you and for you, his word of truth to find comfort in and his people to walk alongside you. Learning to lean into him and the resources he has given you will help you put fear back into its proper place. God's plan is not that you be unchanged by it. He wants you to press close to him and to allow him to work through all things to transform you to become more like Jesus. And so now go and read the book and learn how to walk in those truths or learn how to walk alongside someone in those truths. Hmm. Well, I can thank so much for letting me talk about my book. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> and so now we open it up. Well, first I want to say thanks to our audience <laughs> for being with us. So thank you so much. Give yourselves a round of applause.